G'day and welcome to the Pod Pod. It is your boy Dossie here, talking all things AFL fantasy, and we're going to be talking about the Gold Coast Suns on our team preview show. We've got the pod squad on deck, just no homesy today, but everyone else is on board. We have five-time top 100 finisher, the Statesman, with us as always. We've also got two-time top 10 finisher, John Harmy, on deck. And back into the fold this week, following a little bit of a bout of a few mysterious illnesses, I would say, over the past few weeks. We've got Louie back on deck, mate. It's good to have you back on board on the show, a regular in the top thousand and uh, Louis, how are you, mate? You've recovered from, well, I guess a, a New Year's injury to be back on the show. Yeah, pretty much, mate. So, what is this? My first podcast for the year, is it? I think so, I think it is. Yeah, that, it's good to be here and uh, yeah, starting to get close to the season proper now. So, plenty of relevance to talk about, and yeah, just excited to get started. Fancy yourself a bit of a track watcher now as well, uh, a bit of a Twitter expert out there at the port trainings, bit of a nuffy, dare I say, Lou, at the moment. Oh, look, I'm, I'm just going down for my own interest, really. There's a few little bits and pieces I uh, sort of taking note of, but um, yeah, no, I enjoy it. It's good fun. Go for a pub, pub meal. Love it, mate. Well, let's get into the structure that we've been going through for each of the teams and with Gold Coast, we'll treat it the same. I'm going to go through the team numbers first. Then we'll go through a few other things before talking about some specific players. But the team numbers from last year for the Suns, finishing 15th on the ladder and 15th for fantasy scoring. So consistent there. But interestingly enough, they averaged, I know there's a lot of talk about the new coach, only averaged 55 points. They actually averaged 55 points less as a team last year than the 2017 Richmond first premiership team under Dimmer. So a little bit of a food for thought there because I know there's a lot of thought about them reducing their fantasy scoring as a team. They're actually already worse than the Richmond team of old. Um, another number, number one for percentage of contested possessions versus total possessions. Also, the Tigers back in the day, number one in 2017 for this stat. So a few of the numbers kind of already aligning with that play style that Dimmer already had in place. Maybe Dewey trying to replicate that, uh, that system back in the day. Um, bit of a beast's inside, but not great and clean with the outside ball, which you can see third for kicks and uh, second only behind port for meters gained per disposal, but unfortunately 14th for kicking efficiency. So that was their biggest weakness as a game plan. Um, so Dimmer coming in, new coach, new game plan. Uh, Stato for fantasy though, you know, who do we see emerging as big winners under Dimmer, obviously time will tell, but what are your early thoughts? Yeah, it's, look, it's going to be an interesting watch. Um, I suppose everyone's expecting to see that sort of Richmond game style and the stats you just rattled through is very interesting. So good deep dive, Dossie. Um, that is great information. So we shouldn't see a worse fantasy scoring by reading that information, which is an absolute positive. I think everyone's porting, um, sort of pointing to that sort of halfback role, the Jaden Short role, um, is suggested. I, I've had a good look through the data, and the reality is, in his time, we also had a, a top scoring forward in in Dusty Martin. So the reality is, whether he actually really had the fantasy players um, that he was managing at the time, 
Um, you look at Nank, he also had periods where he was a super scorer. So the reality is, and I think we need to get caught up too much on Richmond's fantasy. The game style, yes, but I just don't think he actually had the cattle, um, didn't have the Tom Mitchell, uh, didn't have the Dane Swan uh, under his tutelage. But those that could score, the Nanks, the Jaden Short, the Dustin Martin, um, they all scored pretty well. So um, I think we should be open to see what the talent does, and I think there's a fair bit of talent at the Suns. Harmy, do you reckon they're on their way up this year? That's the simple question as well for the Suns. Oh, look, I think they're going to be similar um, to what they were last year. They were really pushing for that eight, weren't they? So, yeah, they're going to be thereabouts. I mean, their list should be building to um, to be a top eight contending team. So I guess we'll see. They should have some Let's improvement, look at- I think. Mm, you'd hope so. Um, let's look at the trade period ins. Jed Walter, the number two pick in the draft, key forward, absolute man-child, Gold Coast Academy pick there. Just looks like he's going to be a stud out of the gates. But as we know, key forwards do take their time to develop at AFL level. And while he's been a man-child in the junior ranks, can he come in and do that in the AFL level versus the mature bodies? We'll find out. The outs... Mabio Chol headed to the Hawks, Elijah Hollands off to the Blues, and Chrissy Burgess, the biggest out for the Suns of last year. Premiership player Chrissy Burgess with the Suns VFL team, of course, going to Adelaide and going to be a popular player in the Adelaide podcast for those 200K rookies. But I think the biggest in, as we mentioned before, was Dimmer in the trade period. It's going to change a lot of things. So I'm keen to talk about more players as we go on that could be affected by the Dimmer game plan and Stato touched on a few reasons why that might be exciting but let's also talk about the buy round and look I know Stato you've been our buy round expert going through this whole time so first of all just I want to hear your thoughts and then maybe throw to Louis as well you know what to do with the Gold Coast Suns with their opening round buy they have Adelaide then the Western Bulldogs then a buy in round three. Yeah, it's quite interesting, the opening round, uh, it's Dimmer against Richmond. So that's going to be an interesting game to watch wow. first up. Um, but it does mean they get an early buy. And I'm looking at avoiding the teams, uh, especially premiums, um, when we're looking at the round two and the round three buy. Obviously, Gold Coast here have the round three, so they get two games in. But what I won't avoid is the low break even. So if you get a rookie or a a low price, mid pricer that really cuts up, looks good roll um, and coming into round one with a negative break even, I'm taking that cash, especially if it's a good roll and it's going to give me good points. So two good matchups for scoring uh, Adelaide and Western Bulldogs. So we shouldn't shy away. Um, Players... At the top end, um, unless they really blow us away with a with a new role and a new ceiling that we hadn't seen before, I'd probably avoid but keep monitoring them for another couple of weeks to see if their potential ins come round four. Louis, your thoughts, mate. Do you have any different thoughts? I know a lot of a lot of listeners are keen to know sort of like the lines that you you can take. So, you know. What score does a player have to get? And maybe we can touch on some individual players coming up. But are you likely to go anyone above that sort of mid-price bracket that Stato is talking about? And what sort of 
price bracket would you be comfortable jumping on, say, if someone goes 110 or something in round opening round before we start playing fantasy? Yeah, I'm unlikely to go a premium, mate, and that's just because of that early buy round, as Stato said. And I think we need to start separating it into almost two separate sections where you've got rounds one through three and then five and six where we've got the buy rounds. So one through three, it's going to be a little bit difficult. Uh, There's more players on the buy there, and uh, I just think we might have a volatile start in terms of roles, positions, injuries, you know what it's like early days in fantasy Four and five is going to be, uh, sorry, five and six is going to be a little bit different, but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Uh, in terms of if I would start a Gold Coast Sun, though, then I absolutely would uh, if he's in a rookie priced bracket. Uh, as Stato did say, they're going to have that opening round built into their scoring. Uh, so the break even should be nice and low, and it might just open the door for us to start. Someone maybe we weren't thinking of previously, you mentioned a Jed Walter. Uh, sort of key forwards are kind of uh, steered clear of in AF, but if he can come out round one and pop a 70-75 a off the back of a couple of goals, then he's already got the ball rolling straight away, and that's when I'd probably consider uh, starting somebody like that. All right, well, we're not going to discriminate um, the listeners that do want to start the Gold Coast Suns as well. So we're going to cover this as if, you know, depending on your strategy, there's no right or wrong strategy yet. We've never played this sort of format. So we're going to treat all the teams of the opening round the same way um, as we have the other teams. So we'll move on, you know, just pushing through the, the same structure. So the popular picks for the Gold Coast Suns, and clearly a lot of fantasy coaches aren't paying the same sort of um, respect, I guess, or what's the word, the, the same attention to detail that you guys are for this opening round because 43% of coaches are keen on starting Sam Flanders at the moment, priced at um, an, a price of 89.6, so that's 809000 obviously off the back of his incredible form last year, averaging close to 112 in his last five of 2023, finally moving into the midfield, playing a bit of a high half forward role as well. John, Harmy, your thoughts on a Sammy Flanders this year? Oh, look, I think, what's it say? He's priced at 89. I think he very well could be over 100 um, because he's got a well-rounded fantasy game. I, I think that when you compare what, say, a Matty Rowell um, does out there for, you know, scoring in multiple areas, getting those marks on the on the outside, um, Flanders will do it, but Rowell not, not necessarily doing that um, as part of his go. But, yeah, that, that buy round, I just really don't think that I, ca- I will be starting him. But um, I'm not surprised that there's a lot of interest in him, uh, Dossie boy. So let's have a think about their midfield. Last year it was Took, Anderson, Rao with a little bit of Flanders, Swallow and that sort of thing. Um, a little bit of Humphrey, I suppose, as well, Humphreys. Um, but Flanders should be the, the man in there. But how often does your fourth midfielder score huge? Um, I mean, I'm attracted to what he did at the back end of last year, but I don't think there's any guarantee he's going to come out and do that from the start this season. So I'll be having a bit of a watch, I think, mate. He's been a flat-out scorer in the VFL, you know, for for a couple of years now. Stato, I know you've been big on him as well. You know, can you see Flanders having a sustainable average this year? I mean, obviously we need to see what Dimmer's going to do, but that aside, can you see a big breakout, you know, Last year was the breakout. Can we see 105, 100 plus from a forward in San Flanders? 
It's role dependent, of course, but if he's permanent inside mid, so getting 75% mid, then absolutely he can smash it. Um, I think there's a reason for that high ownership is that forward line is so damn ugly um, and there's not a lot of options and even the, the number one option being McRae um, doesn't give us a lot of security in our own heads just because what his role can be. So if we know that Sam Flanders, who, let's face it, you must be doing their social media DOS because there's been a lot of Flanders. Um, so there's a potential that he is the man they're going to pin the hopes on. And if that's the case, it's foolish for us not to consider, even though he's got the buy. But what you've got to think about, and I'm sort of using the, the buy periods to try and get the most points, but also the most cash. I think that's the important. So that's why I want the premiums that aren't going to have the buys, the early buys, to give me the most points, and I'm going to find the way to make the most cash. Now, he might make it too hard for us to ignore, and I will listen if that's the case. But you've got to think, if he averages 120 over those um, two rounds, so I'm thinking points scored rather than cash gained, um, it's not 360 at the end of... Um, at the end of round three, it's still 240 that he scored. So I've got to think, well, where's that other points coming from and who's that 19th man that comes in and fields for Sam Flanders? But the forward line is disgusting, so there's going to be the argument and I can understand why he's in 43% of teams. And after the practice games, I might be forced in doing that myself if, if his opening round is a ripper. All right, Louis, moving on to another popular pick um, at the moment. 19% owned is Took Miller. Um, you know, fantasy coaches thinking he's going to return to his best form of just a few years ago when he was one of the best AFL fantasy performers in the entire competition. He's only priced at 96, uh, which is 868,000. Can you see Took Miller returning to his best despite, you know, these young midfielders flourishing around him? Oh, look, he comes in at the 96 price tag, which is certainly value based on what we've seen in the years previous. Uh, we'll probably back over it a couple of times in this podcast, but it's a little bit tricky to to know where Tuke Miller is going to sit in that midfield this year, especially based on last year with a few injuries. He came back and his role was sort of a little bit up in the air where he spent time a bit more forward on the wing, moving into the centre. And that really affected his score. So that's built into his average this year. Potentially, he goes back into that midfield full-time. I think that's where we will see him. And I think, yeah, there is the potential for him to go back up to his previous numbers just because he does fill every stat line. Uh, but when I speak about his previous numbers, I'm probably talking more close to that 110 mark. Uh, we don't want to talk about you know this game style under this new coach too much but um, Dimmer at Richmond as Stato mentioned before Dusty Martin was pretty much the only guy who went at 110 in that system over a number of years so I find it difficult to believe that he's going to exceed that too much but I do think that he's definitely got the potential to be able to get up to the towards that number. The, the biggest challenge for us um, and it's easy to say we avoid the premiums for the early um, the early buys. But if Flanders is a clear F1, 
and Tuke Miller is in the top three midfields. It is really hard to get them at round four. So how have we generated enough money to move a mid-pricer to some of these top-end markets? So that also becomes our challenge. So I, I can also understand that if you desperately want them and you feel that – so I'm trying to think, who's the top three? Who's the starting three in there? And you think it's Anderson, Miller and Rao. They're oh, the I'd three. say so, yeah. So if he's fully fit, um, he's not playing a defensive role – um, and Dimmer just goes, you're, you're our best mid, and I think Miller is their best mid, go for it. He's a, he's a 110 to 115 guy. Um, I don't think the price range, um, rises too much in three rounds because the price variation's a little bit slower because the, the rookies and the high-scoring mid-prices take up a little bit of that cash pie. But still, you've got to find a way to get nine twenty thousand if he's killing it at round four to get one of the top three mids in your team. So that becomes the challenge. It's going to be it. Yep. One that's going to be hard to navigate for coaches, but I think opening round will dictate a lot and how high that ceiling can go for both those two sort of lower-end premium price players in, in Sam Flanders and Tuke Miller. All right, let's get to the final. I, I just piled this guy in here because he is almost a popular pick. He's not quite 10% plus, but he is 9%, and that's Jed Walter, uh, $294,000 rookie. Harmy, this guy was, as I said at the top of the show, an absolute man-child coming through the ranks. Um, he averaged 103 in the Talent League for the Suns Academy, Nearly 78 in the under-18 champs. So he doesn't just, you know, he can score as a key forward in this, in the juniors, which it's, it's easy to do that. But, Harmy, what would you do with uh, Jed Walter starting the season? Um, like we said, because Louis and Stato said they're happy to start the rookies if they if they can produce that cash gen, even with the opening round. Yeah, look, I'd be pretty reluctant to start him, uh, Dossie, because... I mean, it's fine being the big fish in the uh, the talent league, um, but when you're coming up against uh, a different weight division, you know, I'd, I'd be surprised if he comes in and makes an impact. You've only got to look at what Aaron Cadman did last year. He was excellent in the talent league as well. Number one draft pick came in with all the wraps and he certainly struggled to adjust to the, uh, the pace of the game and the style of the game. So... Look, it's funny, isn't it? Um, they took a ruckman as well. The, you know, with the the really athletic uh, ruckman, Ethan Reed. Uh, they took uh, Rogers. Rogers may be a chance, but yeah, just as a key forward, uh, Dossie, I'd be pretty reluctant to um, start him in my fantasy side. Let's look at the top three averaging players from last year and look at their prospects for this year. We've already covered Tuke Miller. He was the second highest for the Suns. So Noah Anderson at 101 average, as we said, not a huge high-scoring top scorer for the Suns, but Noah Anderson. Louis, any interest in him as a prospect this year for us? Yeah, absolutely, mate. He's been one of those players who's risen from the junior ranks with good scoring. He's come in, hit the ground running and pretty much improved on every single year. Uh, in the Brownlow as well, I'm pretty sure he polled right up there too. So he's clearly doing the right things um, that people are taking notice of. Uh, 101 average does seem modest for the type of player that Noah Anderson is. Um, he does get on the outside a bit, can get those marks, but he's also a bit of a hard nut on the inside too. So... Uh, 
he is someone that definitely has the potential to go at 110 at some point in his career. And I think a lot of that's going to depend on the responsibility that he's got in that midfield and uh, having that perfect role. But if you were bullish on Noah Anderson, I, I certainly wouldn't talk anybody out of it. I, I think he, he's a good pick. All right. And the third top ceiling as well. Does have a yeah, does has a ceiling, Nora Anderson. Uh, the third top averaging player was Matty Rowell, who was in my squad for a significant <laughs> portion of last year. Uh, a 92 average price to 830k. Given the way he looks, it's surprising he's still just 22 years old. You sometimes forget, you know, he's still really just a very early in his AFL career, came on and exploded onto the scene. Could he take a step further under Dimmer? Stato, now that he's developed that pressure part of his game, he's nailed that. Can he get on the outside a bit uh, in this new system and take his game to another level? Um, with I'm a little bit unsure who takes that defensive role. So exclude that role, which I think all of us are a little bit excited to find out, especially if it's good value. Um, there's four I'm interested in, in um, Anderson, Took, Raul and Flanders. But Rao is sitting in fourth place for me. So it's a no. I'm, I just think he's going to be the bull and the others have just got better running capabilities. So I just think they spread more. They get more marks, I think, between um, Noah and Took. I think they're the two that are going to get the extra spread if, if that's the case. So I just I feel like the other two can fill up the stat lines. And I think the the pig tendency of Flanders puts him in, in front as well. Not only that, he's got the forward status. So he's probably fourth cab off the rank. I understand he's good. Um, but, yeah, he's probably – I think he's more of a super coach player than he's going to be an AFL fantasy player. All right, let's talk about the other guys remaining for the Suns. And, um, you know, we did spend a little bit of time on strategy with the Suns and talking about that buy, but I think that's important. Now let's get into some of the more niche names that are being thrown around by the community, but that people do want to be talking about as well. And Will Powell, probably my favourite candidate to be that distributor off the half-back line and in that Jaden Short role. Uh, let's go to Harmy. Your thoughts on Will Powell? We've talked about him a few times this preseason already, but do you think he's the guy that is going to be in that mould to be the the main distributor out of defence for the Suns? Yes, I think that it's more than likely, Doss. Um, but the thing about Powell is he's not a bargain. Uh, he, he actually comes in at a bit of a price, so you'd have to be really confident that um, he was going to be the main man. I guess... I think Stato said earlier that you're more looking at people around that 500,000 and below, and that's why i am got an eye on Connor Buderick because he is 504,000, and if he gets a decent crack um, in that defensive role, I think he's probably worth a look. And he's All quote right. during the week um, is he actually mentioned Jaden Short. Yeah, I know. Lou, take it away, mate. Yeah, I saw yeah, look, the same I, quote. I can understand why this might be a little bit of a moot point, but uh, if Dimmer wasn't coaching this side, would we be talking about Will Power? I, I liked the way he finished last year regardless. Um, he, he seemed to because obviously Lockie Weller went down um, mid sort of season there and it was looking like they were trying to find someone to be that distributor. 
that guy, that main man out of defence and it wasn't going to be Rory Atkins going forward <laughs> and it seemed like Will Power really took the reins for a few weeks before he unfortunately got injured again. But, um, yeah, I, I remember trading for him in my keeper league and was very excited to see him. He looked like he was going to take his game to another level and I think I just thought with Dimmer coming in, you know, just again putting that Jaden Short sort of context, that Bashahuli context behind it, that he was just going to be the guy out of defence. He was taking a lot of kick-ins at that time as well. But to your point, the quote that Connor Butterick came out and said, if you haven't seen it, you have to find it on the the Sun social somewhere. But he did say that uh, Dimmer was looking for him to to be taking that kind of role, which is incredibly interesting. And um, yeah, continue, Lou, with your point though. Oh, no, that's pretty much it, mate. But uh, thank you very much for giving me Elijah Sardis for Will Powell in that keeper league. (laughs) (laughs) We'll enjoy that going forward. Um, All right, well, I guess another guy to keep an eye out for that people are thinking about is Joel Jeffrey. So I guess out of those people, you know, just keep an eye on the roles. That's all we can really say. It's going to be one of those people, I think, given what you guys have said, you'd much rather a, a person in the Butterick or Joel Jeffrey range to be what you'd be more happy taking a punt on than the Will Power price bracket. Um, I'll just talk about another player who wasn't really on my radar until I saw some sweet new tattoos on the socials. Because <laughs> uh, that's Bailey. how we should judge fantasy <laughs> players. Bailey Humphrey uh, looking fresh with a couple of new sleeves, one on the arm, one on the leg. Um, but no, look, last year he showed some promising signs but also let coaches down with, I think it was a, a zero point three-quarter performance at one point or a 10-pointer. He, he had a real stinker last year. Harmy, 463K though. He is a forward eligible player. You know, if he's thrown in that midfield mix, could we see a second-year bump from him priced at 51 at the moment? Yeah, um, you could do. That's right. And I think that the majority of teams are probably going to start with one or two forwards around this price, um, chasing some value. So you could, um, you know, well, as Lou said, Sardis, or you could have uh, Filippo or, you know, whoever. Um, but if Bailey Humphrey comes out and goes whack in round zero, you could make the shift to him because you'll be able to get a look at him. All right, I'm going to look at just a couple more names here. And one of them, your uh, your old mate, uh, Jack Lacocious, Louie. If we are talking about, you know, we're talking all defense here, but in terms of inside 50s, that's where Dimmer makes his bread and butter. He gets the ball in there and that's his whole system is designed on getting it in there. Is Jack Lacocious on the other end of the field going to be one to benefit? Has it come out where he's going to be playing, Dossie? Well, no, but uh, given yet. his form last year, you, ooh, you, Lou's got some inside goss there or what? No, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't mate. Um, look, I think Jack's probably more of a quality over quantity player at this stage. I think a lot of things need to go right for him to be the fantasy gun that some of us want him to be. Uh, it would have to be a pretty cushy role, a little bit like James Sicily, I think, to really make it worth it. Uh, if he's not got that role, I think uh, he's just not worth going near just because he is too valuable from that football sense. I okay. will watch with interest just in case that day um, comes where Dimmer works out that the best quarterback, um, Jaden Short type player, is Lacocious. Yeah. Because I tell you what, his scores will skyrocket if he does get the role. And the question mark is who plays forward. So you got Sam Day. 
Um, you've certainly got Ben King. So if someone like a, a Kaz Bolt, um, the young Walter. bloke. You're Walter. Yeah, mate, Walter. Yeah. Um, really goes okay at the third position and that's when you free up Lacocious because if something's um, their biggest weakness is their ball use, then why not get their best ball user behind the, behind the maybe, ball? Maybe a wing even as well. Mm. Um, another guy that has flagged, I think, I can't remember who said it, but one of the players actually said it, which is why what pricked up my ears, but James Cheetus at 200K. Just keep an eye on him this preseason. Um, some One of the players flagged him for a wing role um, and has been really tearing up the track apparently, as every player is doing this preseason. But that'll wrap up the Suns pod. 28 and a half minutes of Suns. We, uh, we, really, we really milked that one. But um, look, I think it was important to talk about some buy round structure there. And most importantly, I went with the people. The people on Twitter asked, can I go a Suns podcast? without talking about Fiorini, and I have until this last second. So enjoy that one, You still did it. (laughs) We'll see you on the next podcast. We'll be talking Fremantle Dockers. 